Hi, and welcome to The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ron Swallow. I'm Ed Greer. And I'm producer Bill. And today, we have sort of a weird freeform episode. I don't know exactly how we're going to title this, but its working title right now is Greatest Lessons, Greatest Questions. And I just wanted us as a group to, in a conversational fashion, because I just sprung this on you, go over like greatest lessons and greatest questions we have after doing this stuff. I don't want to say making this content, because God damn it, this is art. But after making five, six years of this shit, what are our greatest lessons and greatest questions that kind of remain? Another lesson I've learned, or at least the surprise I've experienced, is like how resentful I get toward milk toast people and their ability to carry an audience. Um, oh, yes. You know what I mean? Like, that's one thing. Because you guys, you guys are coming from a stand-up background, and I, I think you're more you were more seasoned in the dynamics of, you know, working an audience than I was for me coming out of television. The audience is always a very theoretical thing. It's just numbers on paper because you're, you don't have that one-to-one interaction. And yeah. so I think it always was, it, it, it was always with me a little bit in TV in that you would see some of the stuff that would rate or that would hit. And you would be like, really that, But I think once I started getting on air with you guys and taking this more personally, I would look at people who would just do the most base shit, you know, whether it's people who just get on and read headlines and talk about how exciting it is or people who do quote unquote reviews. And it's literally just like the most middle of the road. Well, you know, the special effects were pretty good, but uh, the story didn't quite hang together. Like, (laughs) I I now take it so personally that those people find audiences. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I mean, I I think what's what's interesting is trying to find people who are um who you feel are are smart and they're and they want a deeper experience than that, but you also not getting too far up your own ass to where you're like some of these channels are just like they're they're like YouTube channels, like a fucking A twenty four movie or something. Mm. As they try to break down all this shit, all highfalutin. It's like there's this nice sweet spot in the middle where you're not a troglodyte re- repeating marketing talking points and right wing comicsgate talking points. Mm. Maybe both in the same broadcast and calling that content and making it seem like that content is your art. Or you could do kind of what we do, where we like really try to drill down on some of the reasonings why some of these things happen, some of the reasonings why some things were put together this way, some of the reasonings why we might reject that culturally or spiritually or 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 intellectually. And I think that's the that's the big difference. And the fact that what we're doing is still extemporaneous, because as much as I love those really like high end, slickly edited you know, very philosophical meditations on pop culture, they do come across a little hackneyed when it's it's just a disembodied voice reading this very well-manicured script that they've written to investigate the deeper meanings of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, you watch enough of them and you're like, wait a minute, like, they're just talking with big words and they're not telling me anything interesting. I don't know. The fact that we're actually having conversations and we're having to sort of justify ourselves to each other, build up each other's points, even argue with each other sometimes, to me, it feels a little bit more gratifying 
than if I were to just write an essay and voiceover with a bunch <laughs> of clips from movies, you know? <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, I love that stuff. But again, <laughs> but I, I think I think the broader point is that um this is sort of a format that I, I don't really see certainly on YouTube, not a lot of other people doing. And I think it's getting scarcer in podcasting where, you know, it's either big name celebrities doing interviews like old school Johnny Carson, or it's the scripted true crime, deep dive, whatever this and that. I don't know. It's just, it's a tough thing to find people just having a good deep conversation about something that they are knowledgeable on. But at the same time, we don't take it too seriously. Like we love what we're doing, but we're able to look at what we're doing and have fun with it at the same time. Although I have to say in terms of questions, I often wonder if, and this is not a criticism of us by any means, but I often wonder if we are too middle of the road. I often wonder if we would be more successful if we leaned one way or another, if we were more, you know, tightly written, deep dive questioning, or if we were more morning zoo style, here's another headline. What do you guys think? What's your take on this? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, we've found this, we found this formula that I think feels very natural to us. And like, we're very edified by, by the conversations, but I do wonder in the questioning aspect of this podcast, if that's holding us back in some way, if we would find more success with another formula. You know, what? I I think about that a lot because, you know, as, as we grow and as like, uh, I try to get bigger in my, my standup career and screenwriting and things like that. I think about this being like, the product that let's say I blow up, right? Let's say t- tomorrow I get cast as the fat guy with bratwurst in a movie and they kill me, but they kill me cool. And I get five, 15 good lines. And then that makes me be able to headline Poughkeepsie or whatever the fuck mm-hmm. instantly our podcast would get bigger period. Yeah. So if that, so if, and when that happens, this being the backlog product, what would people think of that? And I think of like, like that, me them it, seeing me kill in Vegas or something, and then going, I'm going to listen to this guy again, and then they hear this sort of snickering goblin kicking it with his <laughs> with his buddies talking about fucking movies and Spider Man in a really deep way, Batman as a soul searching like uh, concept and all this like weird oddity. I kind of I kind of think is that cool or not. Mm. That's still my that's a that's a question I have. Is that cool or not? Will people go this utterly confident, powerful stand up figure and I listen to his podcast and he's just sort of giggling with his buddies under the covers like they're five. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but but in an intellectual way. Uh, but, yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Uh, and it's just like that's kind of an interesting question to me whether people are going to go. This is fucking great because I know this guy now. And not only do I know this guy, I know his friends. And I know the type of stuff that they talk about when they have their druthers. That is so intimate and awesome. Here's like a billion dollars to the Patreon because I just love this shit. And I love the fact that there's so much of a backlog of this shit that I can experience. And I can get to see them all develop their skills over time. So a couple people, a few people, maybe a few thousand people are going to get that experience pretty soon. And I think that's interesting. But I don't know if that's going to be the case or they're going to be like, 
Ugh, this this guy's fucking weird. I want to see this in another format. Just to just to uh, sympathize with that a little bit in a different way. Like ever since I got divorced, you know, I've I've dabbled in dating, uh, been kind of up and down. But like with everybody that I've dated, it's come up that you know, like if I on certain nights we record the podcast or whatever, and so you know, people wonder like, oh, you record a podcast or a YouTube show, like what's that about? And I never keep it secret. Like I've, I've, and you know, it's been a handful of people, but like, I will tell them about it and they will check it out. And I will very much be like, look, it's super nerdy. Like, you know, it's a very (laughs) specific thing for a very specific (laughs) audience. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if they're patronizing me, but so far, uh, each of the women has like reacted very positively, mostly to watching reboot it. I don't know. I don't get them as deep in the weeds as recommending the greatest pod, but like mm-hmm. if, if you're going to watch reboot, it's still a pretty nerdy enterprise, but like mm-hmm. everybody seems to dig it. Like it seems to be at least inoffensive enough or like not <laughs> off putting, you know, yeah. it's not like I'm not over here yeah. not getting laid because of it. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> You're not, you're not getting the waxed on treatment to your dick. Like, waka! Get it out of here. I just watched Rebooted. Yeah, that X-Men episode, you should have did it more like the 97 cartoon. And she puts her clothes back on. I'll leaves. tell you what, I have I have yet to encounter that, but that'd be very gratifying. Yeah. I got to say, people's negative comments have nothing to do with you. They have yeah, everything yes, to do. do. No, they don't. Here's the thing. I know. You oh, cannot gonna argue with you, but go ahead. You cannot take this stuff personally. Their opinions about whatever stupid ideas they have are their opinions, and they are dumb, and you don't need to pay attention to them. There's been a couple of times I responded to some people. Like one guy literally was like asked if I could read or something <laughs> along those lines. Like it was was, was it that was, on a, a reboot it? Uh, it was on comment. a reboot it. It was on a rebooted <laughs> comment. And it's like I at first I took it real seriously, but then I realized I don't know who this dude is, and he is probably sadder than me. He is probably living with his parents and a giant fucking loser, and he got mad about some comment that I made. He's mad that I'm reading uh, <laughs> on a YouTube channel, and maybe I slubbed a word or two, and he's like, I wouldn't slub a word, even though, guess what? You would slub a word, you fucking idiot. But I don't have to take that guy that seriously because it doesn't matter. You know, uh, I, think you take I, th- seriously? I think it's, uh, I think it's flub a word. Yeah, whatever. I, I don't give a shit. Suck a, a dick. <laughs> Make sure you come at Ron hard about his misspeak. Just, like, just so he can ignore you. <laughs> I'm just, it's just, I thought it was interesting because like the more I took that stuff seriously, the more upsetting it was. But then you look at yeah. like, the responses on our podcast, on our unrebooted, and on our podcast, and and pretty much everything we do are like ninety five to ninety eight percent positive. Why would you spend that two percent of time dealing with someone who's being a shitbag? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that is a valuable lesson, and I think that that's something that we've all learned to a certain extent. You know, from doing this show, is you're gonna encounter haters and like. There's nothing easier than being a dickhead on the internet. And yeah, you're right, Ron. The anonymity of it is really just license for the person on the receiving end to assume you're a total piece of shit and shouldn't be taken seriously. And I, <laughs> that I'm on board with completely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, well, and also, um, I think 
there is, I, I think constructive criticism comes from people who do kind of what you do. And I think uh, getting back to the, 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 I guess uh, a lesson that I've learned is not to like compare myself to other stuff because like an actual organic, like podcast following that isn't in a specific niche doing that same old corny shit is going to take longer to catch on to get as big as whatever. But when it does get big, those people tend to stay. They're not, they're not there because you had a hot girl reading the news or, or, or a fucking handsome guy tearing apart movies. They're there because these personalities and these people kind of speak to them and like they're and not to be frou-frou, but speak to their souls, you know? And so I think that that, I think that I'm telling you when this is the nerd ringer, like I've been predicting forever, when this whole enterprise is the nerd ringer, we're going to look back on episodes like this, and it's going to be so fucking quaint that we ever thought it was going to not really work out. You know what I mean? Well, well, I think to that point, in terms of like growing an audience and growing awareness and growing your overall presence, I have certainly been surprised and have learned that keeping up a social media presence is can be a daunting challenge. And that was something that I really, you know, I, I'm I'm on the record. I haven't been on Facebook since 2009 and I didn't get on Instagram until a couple of years ago. And that was really just to have a place to post artwork. So for me, maintaining a social media presence in any sort of productive way was a very foreign concept. And I really didn't start until we started doing podcasts with the old company. And like, it's a full-time job to put out good content daily in order to try to build your brand. And Mm -hmm. It's not a full-time job to put out content daily. It's a full-time job to put out good content daily. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that I think that you, we still struggle with to a certain degree. I know mm-hmm. that I even will bristle sometimes. You know, I want the things that go out to be very well designed. I want every, you know, I want it to be optimized to the format. I don't want things to get cut off when they're cross-posted from Twitter to Instagram to Facebook to to TikTok, they all need to look exactly right in the native dimensions, blah, 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 blah. But like all that shit takes time and it takes a workflow that, you know, you really need to commit yourself to developing. And it's, it's tough. Like I really respect people who can, who can maintain that, especially without a staff because damn, does that take time? I was going to say, that's a lesson I would like to learn. And that's that, um, I, want a staff that's a lesson i learned <laughs> i want someone who edits all that stuff i want more people to see it it's one of those lessons that you have to like sometimes do a few things that you don't necessarily love doing to make what you love doing more successful i think yeah my greatest my greatest question is if i had have embraced that culture a little earlier how yeah. much better would my life be you know what i mean because like i've i've been a real do whatever the fuck i want guy forever and I can't say that, you know, my life isn't good, but I, how, how could it be better if I was a little bit more disciplined in certain areas? And, and, uh, but, um, I think we'll never know at well, this point. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, probably not, but if I can interject, I feel like I'm just getting into the do whatever the fuck stage of my life because I certainly spent most of my adulthood being super disciplined, super hardworking, eating shit and, you know, working for more hours than I was getting paid for just to try to, like, achieve some shit, which I did. But it number one, it burned me the fuck out. And number two, I'm sort of getting to the point now where I'm like, 
I don't want to do any of that shit anymore. You know, to, <laughs> to Ron's point, it's like, I want to be a guy creating shit, like making shit up, writing it down, maybe drawing it and putting it out into the world and making money from that. You know, I don't want to be putting pitch decks together and taking meetings and, you know, managing other people who are doing the creative work and like any number of a hundred different things that I've done over the past, you know, 10 years. Um, so it's, it's tough, man. I mean, I think that this is just the lesson of life in the creative arts. It's like, it's very hard to find success on your own terms. And I think it's much more often that you see one of the two paths that we've described. Either you're sticking to your guns of being a creative maverick and doing whatever the fuck you want and getting by on your talent and you don't know where that deposits you at all or you eat some shit and shovel some dirt and fucking get to work, you know, grinding every single day and you end up somewhere with like success on paper, but very little fulfillment. You know, it's very hard to find that middle ground of like, I'm going to do the work, but I'm going to work on everything I really want and everything I'm really good at to define my own success. And it's going to deposit me in a place with success on paper. Like that's fucking hard, man. And I, that's why most people don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm, I'm just getting to a place where I, cause I, you know, I certainly lived in maybe a combination of privilege and delusion, but spent most of my adult life feeling like that's not fucking hard. I'll do it. You know? And I, it's, it, it's a rough lesson that I'm continuing to sort of learn about having to, to reconfigure my own expectations of myself and of what success might mean for me. Um, but I suppose it's an important one. I'll say from within the bowels of all that tumult. <laughs> uh, a lesson that I learned is that you define success for yourself. The, the greatest uh, question I have is whether or not that is a slippery slope to being a fucking loser. Because every See, mother, yeah. every motherfucking loser has determined that they're successful. You know what I mean? That's like I've succeeded yeah. on my own terms. Now, would you? Are you going to finish that chicken bone? You know what I mean? It's honestly, like, man, dude. I I honestly think so much of mental health is just about convincing yourself of certain delusions. And like, <laughs> I really think so. It's yes. a hard, it's a harsh statement, but I honestly think that is because at the end of the day, success isn't subjective. Like, let's nope. be fucking real. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. success is a certain amount of notoriety, money, and ability to do whatever the fuck you want. And mm -hmm. what, whatever level that might mean for you, I mm -hmm. guess is subjective. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you this much. All three of those things need to be well above the average individual for you to <laughs> actually hit success. And mm -hmm. the rest is just a lie you tell yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. And and the but, but the beautiful thing is you can you can always uh the lullaby I go to sleep on every night is how long it took all the people I like to succeed. And how mm -hmm. and how a lot of them I like them so much cuz they stuck to their guns. And once they got a little some but but the other lesson I am learning is every single one of them, almost every single one of them got some major big break. 
like all the all the Joe Rogan's elk eating homies that know him now <laughs> know him because he was on fucking Fear Factor and like just shoot me or whatever the fuck. Oh yeah, the, or, or, or news radio, one of them motherfuckers. I think the, it was just a big me. NBC show, two giant NBC shows, and constant exposure in the UFC, which got bigger with him. He was on the ground fucking floor of the big of some of the biggest sports entertainment and had two NBC shows. That's why you care if he eats creatine with his Wheaties or whatever the fuck. That's why you care. Because you saw the motherfucker on a major network. That was not some natural thing. Oh, I just broadcast from the woods and everybody understands that I'm the greatest. No. You get big through so you get a couple breaks in mainstream. So that's that's the it's a lesson and a question I have is like what's gonna be what's gonna be ours, you know? That must be why I have a real stink face for Joe Rogan is my earliest memory of him is when him and Doug Stanhope took over the man show from Kimmel oh. and Corolla. Yes, and it that's was free. just it, but it was just such a steep downhill yes. plummet that I was just like, this, these assholes, who are these jokes of a fucking host? And it's funny that that's how people got introduced to Stanhope, because Stanhope at one point, and probably right now, but definitely at one point, was one of America's comedic, comedic geniuses, straight up. I mean, he is yeah. an aggregate, definitely one of our stand-up geniuses. But at his like super peak, he was as good as anybody. And and here's to have question, the though. world introduced to him via that bullshit is just hilarious. But here's a question for you: What what is enough? I, I, here's the thing, you know, um, <laughs> Mark Marin. You know Mark Marin, right? From oh, yeah. WTF mm-hmm. and TV shows and stand up and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, another guy who wasn't successful into till way later in in his life. Um, with that being said, I, every once in a while I'll listen to WTF and Mark Marin has people on his show that he is jealous of. He is jealous of people who got super, super famous. And he thinks like, what do they got that I don't got? You know what I mean? And he is unbelievably successful. But if you get to that point, do you still have the attitude of, okay, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm this successful, but I want to be a Kevin Hart successful or, you know what I mean? Like I, I want to be Dave Chappelle successful. However big, person you can think of you want to be that successful does that is that what you're looking for real answer there but yeah i think that's a really important question and and a real answer there that i've observed is it depends on the intersection of how you were raised and what else you have going in your life Mm. right because a lot of people are achievement oriented to fill a hole And that could be from Mm. parents, from early childhood trauma, from being rejected by, you know, potential lovers, whatever it is. But like a lot of people are trying to fill a hole. And unless you're doing other work on that problem, there is no enough. So that's one thing. And I think the other thing is, and they're related, but the other thing is, if you are someone who has a fulfilling life outside of the shit you're chasing in your career, right? If you are someone who is very happy with your partner, very happy with your family, very fulfilled by the friend groups you're in and the social life you live, then I think it's far easier to be okay with your own success. 
I think with certain people, if you're prone to depression and just don't have more going in your life, you're, it's never going to be enough. You know, you could be worth $50 million and getting booked on things all the time. But if you're, if you're depressed and if you don't have other things that make you feel satisfied or good enough, then you're constantly chasing the dragon. It's like any other addiction. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know. That's to me, that's the answer. Well, and and for real, the Pagliacci ass motherfuckers, you know, the people who make like the whole world the stage, like every fucking second is the life or death of whether you get a laugh or not. People who more or less live that lifestyle, even if they don't think they're doing it, they're just like fucking I'll be funny with the bellhop and I'll be funny with the mother with the fucking maid and I'll be funny with and you ain't got no no family, no anything. No, like you said, friend groups and shit. And it's just every interaction is this chance to shine da, 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 da. it's mr saturday night every fucking second with these people a lot of like c and b level headliners are like that mm. they don't have anything but they, they they were on the road for 300 days a year and they are 300 like 45 days a year doing their shit and getting sharper baby grinding it out and i'm in this place i'm in that place i'm in this place and they never have a chance to set it down any roots or do anything to, that makes them fulfilled in their regular life. And they're just life is like this weird um, Beetlejuice death waiting room until they get on stage and then they get to come alive for an hour. And then the other 23 fucking hours of the day is this fucking baton death march of of either forced social interactions with people to get that stage buzz or stultifying loneliness. You know what I mean? And it's just, and not, not to make it that simple, but there's a, there's definitely a Kinsey scale of that shit, but you understand what I'm saying. And I will, I mean, I will say one of the things that I've just sort of observed from a distance, because this is a question that's actually always fascinated me is if you look at guys who are real savants, you know, who really have mastered their craft, everyone from, Kubrick to Dave Grohl to Lin-Manuel Miranda to, you know, any number of these people, right? Almost to a person. They are all in marriages that last most of their lives. They all have children that they genuinely love. They all have very small and contained work routines around whatever sort of worldwide giant profile they have. Mm. They all seem to live pretty contained lives with close people that, you know, are real relationships. And I think that that's very important. I think that like success without that becomes something that will hollow you out and eat you away. And make you tired. Well, I, uh, that too. I that mean, too. seriously, because you're going all the time. If you, you're grinding all the time and you're neglecting people you care about, it, it makes the it makes all of that worse, and it makes them unhappy. It makes you unhappy, and you might not even realize you're unhappy because you're you're chasing that dream. But there's a little bit of that in you, just hanging out, waiting to peek out when you when you when you misstep, you know. So I think it's important. Uh, uh, an important lesson is to take time for yourself. Like you can, you you for sure have to, you know, grind and work. Like it's ridiculous to pretend you don't. But you also need to take time to to fulfill being human from every every once in a while. Like it's important. 
Yeah, well, you know, um, uh, my career I mean, is my baby. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. My career is my baby. I stick, hey. I stick the, I stick the titty of attention into my career's mouth every day. <laughs> all right. So you can sometimes literally, depending on who you are. Yeah, um, oh boy. <laughs> all right. So if we can get away from giving the people life advice for a second and just back to some of the things that we've learned while doing this podcast. I yeah. will say one of the things I've been surprised to learn is that often the titles and topics and keywords and buzzwords that you think are just going to get you that extra couple thousand hits um, are very hard to predict. Sometimes you're right and sometimes you're not. I don't know if, if you guys have been noticing anything lately, but I've, I find myself constantly in this state of surprise. Like, really? A bunch of people were into that versus really that didn't get a, that didn't get a huge bump of hits like trying to figure out what really sets the audience on fire talk about chasing a dragon i i have not figured that out even in the five See, years we've been doing this that but that's why i didn't veto this episode outright because, because i didn't want to capitulate to that because mm -hmm. there's no way this is going to kill in the algorithm but it may be an organic hit where people would be like well, what do these motherfuckers talk about when they're not trying to make some grand point about Batgirl? Like, what the, <laughs> what, what the fuck do these guys sound like when they're talking about something real? And I'm just, I'm just okay with giving them because, like, I'm just thinking about editing this episode. There are certain things that are definitely going to get edited out of this motherfucker, <laughs> but I don't know what they are yet because I haven't like listened to the conversation back. You know what I mean? To try to shape it into a lessons and questions conversation, but I do know that the way that we're articulating ourselves. Um, shows like a little bit of who we are beyond like these media opinions because i think that i said it uh before i say it again if you are if the only thing you are is your media opinions then you fucking suck and i think there are people who really are that you know what i mean like their vows are lines from a fucking star wars movie or something i'm just i'm not trying to shit on that but come on dude come on dude at a certain fucking point, we got to be real human beings on this earth. We can't just be consumers all the way to our graves. My gravestone has a goddamn Death Star on it. <laughs> fucking stop it. That would fucking be very stop sad. it. Be very you know sad. what I mean? At a yeah. certain point, you got to be a goddamn person. So that's um, what I'm sorry. Like my, I said, grave, my grave is going to be a Death Star. All right. <laughs> a working Death Star yes. to blow up all the graves of your enemies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, crush your enemies' graves. See their bones <laughs> driven before you. And the limitations <laughs> of the widows. I think uh, we need to do a grand experiment, and next episode should be greatest pop culture news reactions. And we just <laughs> run down headlines, <laughs> and we just have pithy retorts about what's going on. You know what? Uh, Let's just do it. A, we just make our mouth into an O as we as we look at a trailer. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> And that'll be our pictures all the time. <laughs> Guys, I love it. I'm so excited. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, we okay. were trying to do a Patreon episode, and like, uh, I think Ron was like, okay, well, let's talk about how we liked um, certain shows. or Not how we liked, but that's how I took it. That's how I heard it. He was like, people want to hear us talk about these streaming shows. And I was like, I don't want to just give a continuous blowjob to fucking Disney or whoever. You know what I mean? And he was just like, okay. Like, you don't have to be that aggressive, dude. I just want to, people want to hear our opinions. I'm like, well, what's the angle, man? What's the angle? I was like, just fucking trying to dig so hard to find a new angle besides, oh, Miss Marvel is pleasant. 
Yeah. Can I have but, my soil in green now? <laughs> you know. But, I mean? let me, like, but let me say this: because he did that, we came up with a cool idea, which is to talk about how interesting it is that two completely different pieces of art, like Miss Marble and the Boys, really cool, interesting pieces of art that are so different from each other that they probably shouldn't be compared, but are still part of the same genre. And we had a good conversation about it. And sometimes it's better if even if you're going to do that, it's better to wrap it up in something nice and simple. And I often go back to that big debate we had about what we should do when we were coming up with reboot it. And Ron just being like, why don't we just mash two movies up together um, in so many words? And like there is there is a value to not trying to be so clever that you get caught in your own navel gazing. Yeah, hmm, that that that's a that's a big deal. And also, I think the le- a lesson that I learned in this motherfucker uh, over the course of years is that I think when I'm looking at certain things, it's it's more like uh, I'm finding out why I appreciate the parts that I appreciate by finding maybe some of the parts that I don't and trying to show something to myself about that so that when I make my own things. I might avoid those things or those would be part of my personal style to avoid some of those things. I think in the modern age, we mistake looking into things deeper as always trying to find something wrong with them. A lot of times on this podcast, we look into things deeper and try to find so much more right with it. There was so much fucking heavy lifting I was doing on that goddamn Top Gun episode with Tom Cruise. I was very positive about the stuff that I liked about something. Critique can be that too. Digging deeper into what you like and finding more and more things that you like by looking at it that close but yeah if you look at everything that close you're gonna see some shit that's fucked up and you're probably gonna say something about it and hopefully people find value in what you say here's a here's a question that i have that i think kind of grows out of what you were just saying and it's not so much about us doing the podcast but more about a lot of the stuff that we comment on so i think miss marvel is a good example right where i get i struggle with the fact that like clearly Marvel is pushing for more diversity, both in the stories that they're telling and with the people that they're hiring, which I think is a good thing. However, if you look at like when they brought the Russo brothers over from television to direct some of their big movies, it was a really seamless transition because those guys were really, really seasoned directors And by all accounts, those sets worked very smoothly. Nobody has had a bad word to say about working with the Russo brothers, not even the VFX companies. And that's saying something. And the product kind of speaks for itself. I think what you get into is now they're doing more of this hiring of people who don't necessarily have 100 credits in television. Because when you're trying to get a more diverse workforce, you can't find those people. And that sucks. But now they're bringing in people who maybe only have like one or two indie movies or like a single series worth of credits in TV and they're handing over these big projects to them. And I know it's not just me, like the directing is not good, just objectively. And it's because these people don't have the sort of don't have the sort of long tail to make their directing seasoned and polished and super slick. But that still bothers me. <laughs> and I think I may pro- I probably need to change and just m- make it bother me less because ultimately I agree with more diversity in the industry. But 
I am somewhat bothered by the fact that like you're going to spend tens of millions, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars on a product and the person steering the ship doesn't quite know what they're doing bugs the shit out of me. <laughs> okay. I don't even know what you mean. That's the funny part. Like, cause I, mean, I don't I, know I, what, I don't know. This is the thing that I think about because you guys are much more educated on directing, um, how scripts work. Like for instance, I was, uh, the other day I was playing in a poker tournament. I got really close to going the second day and I was thinking about if I won it. Cause if I won it, it'd be like $450,000. And I was like, man, Maybe I win even more money, and then I get up to like a couple of million dollars, and then we could make a movie. But guess what? Ed was like, no, that's not how it works. I don't know that. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Okay, that's fair. So, I, I'm, so I'm talking when about- you guys – like, so for me, when you say bad directing, I don't even know what that means. Well, so, and so what was I, bad directing? But so that's why I'm saying that might be a me thing that like I just need to get over because maybe people in the general audience don't see it. But – I think across the board on most of the Marvel TV shows and Obi-Wan Kenobi and um, pretty much all the Star Wars stuff except The Mandalorian, which got very seasoned directors kind of across the board to do it. All of this stuff, it's not that it's bad, right? But directors have three main jobs. Number one is to manage the performances which is a very broad thing, but it's it's not just about getting a good performance in the moment, but it's being able to keep every actor on track so that their performances escalate and de-escalate and sort of ride the waves that the story as a whole needs to sell it, right? Okay. And in all of these things, they don't do that, okay? In a way that good directors do. Number two is to manage the overall tone of the piece, right? To make sure that even though, you know, scenes might be accomplishing wildly different things in the structure of the narrative, it all feels like it's happening in the same world with the same rules, you know, developing a consistent tone that makes it all feel like greater than the sum of its parts. Again, in all the things I mentioned, they don't do that. And number three is then managing the workflow for the rest of the crew, working with the department heads to make sure that the vision is communicated um, clearly and that everybody is working towards the same goal so that when you get in the editing room, it works, right? And that means literally a thousand different things. And that's why they say directing is really just making a hundred choices a day. But it just means by the time you're putting it together, you have consistency in the shots in the locations, in the action, so that you can put together something that goes from frame one to the end frame. And by and large, it's not going to feel like, wait, what the fuck happened there? Or wait, where were they? Or wait, how does that connect to this? All that stuff is the director's job from pre-production through post. And again, in all the things I cited, they don't do it that well. And, And it's not that any of it is horrible right it's not that any of it is tommy wiseau making the room or whatever the fuck that movie's called um it's just that when you see it done well by for instance the russo brothers when they work in the mcu by christopher nolan by any major director with a huge body of work up to and including people that are as exacting as a guy like David Fincher or Steven Soderbergh, where those movies are just Swiss watches. 
things that don't work as well, to me, draw huge attention to themselves. Mm. And so to me, when I watch any of this stuff, it's like it's trying to be a product on that level and it's just falling short. And even on television, right? Even by TV standards, like broadcast TV or like HBO level TV or like FX AMC level TV all have different standards, but they all still adhere to everything I just described in their own ways. And if you're telling me that, all right, it's not going to live up to the, you know, a Marvel movie that makes a billion dollars at the box office, fine. But like, it can still work on its own terms. And to me, most of those products, Moon Knight, Miss Marvel, even parts of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, um, even parts of WandaVision, I think Loki was probably the most successful in this regard. Certainly Obi-Wan Kenobi, Book of Boba Fett, like all this stuff, I find falls short specifically when it comes to the directing. And it's just interesting because that is where this push for diversity is really happening, which is good, but it's tough because it's like, there's no actual pipeline. It's more just like, who can we, who can we find that had any success anywhere? Because again, that's where the pipeline doesn't live. Right. And in five years, if they'd been doing movies and doing things in five years, if they did the same project, it would probably look completely different, but they don't have the chance to have that five years because they got to jump in and do it right now. Is that what you're kind of saying? That's pretty much what I've observed. And maybe, maybe I'm missing something, but I feel like that's what's happening. And so my big question is like, does that matter? Or am I tilting at windmills by even, you know, noticing or being bothered by that? I mean, look, um, I loved Miss Marvel. I had like a, such a fun time watching it, and I loved the, the 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 feel of the whole thing and the 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 weird design to it, and the I don't know the vibe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Uh, By the way, little- I also enjoyed watching Miss Marvel. I just think that like it's 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 shortcomings stand out to me in a way that I find annoying. I guess that's oh, okay. the way to put it. It, it yeah, detracts well, from my I mean, enjoyment. My my thing is this, uh, especially on this particular topic. Um, how can I word this so that I? It's funny that I'm going to have to word this where I'm not being offensive. So hold on, <laughs> so hold on. Um, let, let me let, me, let me do it. Let me let me do it. Um, what I think I what I think I find repellent about this whole line of questioning, honestly, is that it's always the same thing it's like jackie robinson right jackie mm-hmm. robinson it's like middle of the road as far as that era's baseball player but he gets called up to the to the, to the major leagues because he fits all the criteria that you have to fit in to be in that world so are you getting the best new hot asian black whatever director probably fuck not mm-hmm. you're getting the ones that could deal with cracker malfeasance the best Frankly, that's fair. You're getting all the ones that can that can let it roll off their back when some bullshit pops up. The the ones who can roll with it when you give them 57 new blue pages and blah, 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 or whatever. Don't give you no shit and don't fight for their artistic shit because they have no leg to stand on. You're getting all of them. So to stack up your lineup with a bunch of them and, and like you said, a bunch of people who succeeded in, in that milieu. 
yeah, you might not get the best and the brightest, but you're getting the ones that work the best in your corporate framework. That's number one. Number two, I think when you finally do get these opportunities, it's like Barack Obama. The country was in the fucking toilet. <laughs> they give a Negro a chance when the country's in the fucking toilet. And by no means did he have the exact same infrastructure to work with, the exact same infrastructure of support, the exact same uh, 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 trust from the people. In no way did he have an equal playing field for that. And he still managed to drone up a bunch of babies and shit. So good on him for for for, <laughs> for doing his job as the fucking president, you know, under those circumstances. So it's like, I just feel like a lot of the times, oh, last things last, with the Russo brothers having a hundred fucking episodes of community under their belt and all this jazz and stepping in and having a well-oiled machine, there ain't nothing that they set like sort of the standard for being able to, again, take all those notes from goddamn Oh, Axel Alonzo's fucking daughter is telling me what to fucking do. Mm -hmm. Axel Alonzo's daughter is in the room with us while we're cracking story. Hmm, that's awesome. You know what I mean? They could they could deal with that the best. Yeah. And and they set up that that fucking um they set up that whole framework where they could deal with that. And then that was their working process, and they were they were able to do all that hot shit. And then an inferior version of all that machinery with more oversight and more niggling hands in the pie and more people with more fucking notes and less time and less money. And now all these Negroes get to do what the Russos did, but with less resources, way more oversight, way more bullshit on a shorter schedule. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And then they're being judged against these giant movies. And see, I think that's the problem. That's the main problem with diversity is that. You, you don't get the best and the brightest ever because the best and the brightest fold a lot of times under this. I called it cracker malfeasance. I'm not taking it back. No, cracker no. slash corporate malfeasance. The people who can deal with that the best get these fucking jobs. Then they get thrown into this fucking scathing fire. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That was stoked by talents like the Russos. And but they were I, I know the Russos got especially as as involved as they were in that universe way more respect and way more uh, agency over that, that section than any of these people are getting. And, uh, and these shows seem to be noted to death. And like you said, on the, on the VFX things, I think the Russos definitely have a greater, had a good vision for working with VFX, but the VFX um, pressures that they're putting on these young directors and these young VFX companies. Now they found out what they could get away with, with the Russos and like true corporatists, right? They decided to expand that. Let's Kids. keep pushing it. Yeah, let's keep yeah. pushing. What can we get from less money? Yeah. Let, you know. so, yeah. These, yeah. These, so these directors are the sacrificial lambs of a corporatist machine. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to victimize them too much because I'd want to be one of them in a minute. Make sure. me do the middling Shang-Chi. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm sure. saying? <laughs> Fucking handle, handle that business. I'd love it. So, that, so that's all I got to say about that aspect of it. I think it's always like you, you get your first shot dealing with all those factors I said and have to be judged against Fincher who could do a billion takes have to be judged against uh, Soderbergh who's been directing since he was nine, fuck, 19, you know what I'm saying? And sure. editing movies since he was like 17 or 15, you know what I'm saying? You got, you got a fucking, you know, uh, every time I see a fucking white director's childhood, it's all on film, nigga. It's all mm -hmm. on film. Everybody's fucking forties. Dad had a fucking film camera. They got they got two pictures of Negroes before 1953. You know, I'm just joking. But you know, you know, you <laughs> no, know I hear saying? you. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> it's it's like so that's that's kind of what I had to say about that. But I I think it's good that we captured this because yeah, it is exactly 
what um, a lesson and a question. The question is, is diversity worth it? I think the answer is yes. The uh, But uh, the other question is, will it ever get a true chance to be actually diverse? Will somebody with my temperament and my but my and my exacting detail, you best believe we're gonna do a hundred takes of bad girl snapping that guy's arm. <laughs> you best believe we're gonna do it if I'm in charge. Yeah. And I don't give a fuck what Disney says. They could suck my balls. Or I, I guess I'd be working for Zaslov. So I'd be like, oh, this is a reality show. We're filming my 600 pound life, and I'll sneak off and shoot a whole bad girl. <laughs> you no, know? uh, so I hear it. Listen, I think the broader question was, am I being ignorant by having this this peccadillo that I'm talking about? And the que- the answer is yes. So that's fair. <laughs> okay. Fair. Yeah. We can move on. Yeah. We can move on. Absolutely. Um I yeah, I mean I think the other some of the other stuff that is on my mind about, you know, lessons learned or questions from this podcast. Um one of the big questions I have that is still fresh on my mind is will people buy anything from us? We had, mm. you know, we had an early surge of customers when we opened the reboot at merch store. Um, but certainly not a big enough surge to make me go, Ooh, we got something here, you know? Yeah. But part mm. of that might also just be what we're offering. Like maybe you don't want reboot it logos and in jokes on your t-shirts and your coffee mugs (laughs) you know i but i I think it's an outstanding question is like you know we've we've put a few years now into sort of developing our online personalities and an audience and a brand and it's like is that sellable i'm curious it's a Hmm. great question um i mean you know we could make my wolverine shirt (laughs) <laughs> well, I think the the larger question about about motherfucking merch is what exactly um again, I think that it's about uh being iterative. Uh that's a word that Bill has introduced into uh our lexicon and it constantly comes up. I think we need to be more iterative in regards to what we do. It's like sometimes we'll go like We'll think that we're like fucking Coca-Cola who has to decide like what the can is going to look like forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, no, we're like Jim Bob shit ass soda. We're going to try labels until motherfuckers start buying this shit. <laughs> you know fair. what I mean? So I, th- I think I think what's 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 um, I think my reticence to develop in public has hamstrung us a little bit. I think when when I think about like all the different tries of some of the, my favorite comedians, some of my favorite comedians have had like six podcasts that sometimes mm. go two or three years apiece and shit like that. And they finally come across one or they'll like they'll just try so much. And I like. I in this show, I, that's why we changed to the greatest pod so that I felt like I wanted to like try to talk about more things than just yeah. singular characters every time and trying to wrangle guests and shit. I felt like it was going to broaden us. And I think it has, but it's one of these things where it's like, you got to finding out your niche when you try to broaden out your shit is hard, right? Niching down is inward. Broadening mm. out is outward. It seems like, I don't know. I, I, my question is how can I, how can we do both at the same time? How could we, we be iterative and try a bunch of more shit while also niching down on some level, you know what I'm saying? At the same time, that's that's an eternal conundrum for me. Well, I mean, look, I I think that you guys uh, should make some comic books. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what I, honestly, that's one I think you guys should do. If you guys uh, would buy Ed and Bill's comic book, uh, you can email us at email thegreatestpod at gmail.com. 
and and tell us if you would you would like that like you know would you buy comics from us would you buy t-shirts from us would you whatever what what's something you would love to to be involved uh in purchasing from us because we love to make stuff it's one of our favorite things to do um i have some story ideas i can't draw worth a shit i think you trying your best to do a comic strip would be the funniest shit in the world. And you might surpass <laughs> us all like for whatever drawing style that you want to adopt to, to where you could actually just make figures. Like one guy is a fucking literally one of those stars you make by going crisscross, crisscross. And another guy is a fucking circle and, and, and with eyes and they like talk to each other or whatever the fuck I am telling you, dude, I really feel like if you put some of your pithier thoughts into a format like that. To that same effect, uh, the cartoonist Nathan Pyle, who created Strange Planet, which is like the blue alien beings who, you know, use uh, excessively complicated language to describe everyday Earth things, which is, I guess, is now in development as a cartoon with Dan Harmon as the showrunner. Like that, that dude can barely draw and he has that level of success and he sells all kinds of merch. And like, he's now published several compendiums of books of his web comic, strange planet and has made the New York times bestseller list. And like, I'm telling you, dude, the drawing is so secondary to just making good jokes with that dude. Mm -hmm. I've heard that uh, adage that like 90% of success is just finishing something like just putting it out there. And I certainly don't live up to that because I'm a I'm a perfectionist that like wants to overwork everything. But there is something to be said for don't be that and just make something to make it so that it's like Ed said, just a vehicle for being funny or whatever your idea is. I don't know, man, you might you might actually uh, surpass both of us. Dude, uh, and a lesson I just learned is I don't never take my own goddamn advice because the thing is, the, <laughs> the weird part is, I think our friendship has helped and hindered our comics making because mm. we're uh, the people who are on our Patreon this month. We're going to catch up on our Patreon people who get art and we're going to get like you're going to get like four pieces and one of them's from Bill. Hey-o. And the thing that is the thing that has precluded the art is I saw Bill's and I got so intimidated by trying to fucking do as good as him. That I didn't draw anything for like two months, yeah. <laughs> and like, like, and I got and I got busy doing stand up and stuff. But like, I had a convenient excuse not to draw shit because I saw the dope ass thing that Bill did, and and it seemed like he was just like, ah, I just sort of dashed this off. I'm the best, and I'm just like, oh Jesus Christ, I'm gonna spend the next 25 hours drawing She Hulk's ankles or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? Yeah. So and I, I can I just, tell you right yeah. now. Bill's face is saying that he doesn't think he's that good either, by the way, which is <laughs> hilarious. No, here's, here's the thing. I, like, I am almost always happy when I finish something. Like, But the mm. problem is the process to get it to the place where I'm happy with it is fucking terrible. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I, I take five times longer than I wish I would. And yet, whenever I try to do things even two times faster, I'm like, this is horseshit. This is bullshit. I got to fix it. I got to make it better. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I know how to make something look kick ass. The problem is all the steps from starting to getting to that place. <laughs> that's where the hell lies. So mm-hmm. like, that's, I don't know. I, I, I have a huge problem with my own process, if not my own work. Dude, ditto. So that's what I'm saying. So like, I, I I think I am slow, even though I don't draw as good as Bill. I'm as probably as slow as Bill. 
And it's just like, fuck me. And I, and, and I know personally that that's just confidence because after not drawing anything for weeks, I just dashed off the She-Hulk that I'm about to send in the Patreon. I think it's almost as good as anything I've ever done. Mm-hmm. I think I might have needed a weird little break to like calibrate how much I was learning. Cause I was like reading perspective books, do, doing Bridgman's anatomy, drawing by drawing, doing fucking a lot of like basic first year art student shit for a while. And then it was, I was getting so strong and I was looking at lighting and all this different shit. And then I just fucking stopped cause standup got busy. And like I said, I got intimidated by your drawing. <laughs> so, so then I fucking, uh, but anyway, long story boring, the people that Patreon, they're going to get like uh, three new pieces for me that like, I'm doing with this new mindset and I did them all faster than ever, but they look basically as good as ever. And I think I'm, I'm trying to find my good enough style where I can that's, do more stuff. I think that's a, a lesson. One. Yeah. That's a huge lesson to learn. I, I mean, I will say a great example of what I'm talking about. So this drawing that Ed's talking about, if you follow me on Instagram, you may have already seen it as a tease, but it's a battle Royale of all of our old nerd goats. But so that drawing started as a sketch with just Daredevil for Ed, Superman for me, and the Dresden, Dresden. guy, Harry, Harry Dresden for Ron. Yeah. And so it was just going to be those three characters. And I sketched it out very rough. And I'm like, eh, this composition needs something. So then I started adding characters. So then I threw in Batman and the Punisher. And I'm like, okay, this is more dynamic. This is interesting. But now it feels too flat. I got to build this composition vertically because it's just too much happening on a horizontal plane. So then I added a few more characters. (laughs) And then I was like, I like this, but you know what? I got to add a final, I think the last character I added was the Cassandra Cain Batgirl. And so then I'm like, okay, I like this composition. So then I inked it all. And then I was like, It'd really be a crime not to color this. It turned out so good. (laughs) And then I got to fucking color the whole thing. And so what started as like, oh, this will be like, like, it was just an idea that struck me and I had some downtime. And I I think I told you guys this. I started it literally years ago, back when we were doing Nerd Goat. And it started as a sketch. And then the sketch grew. And somewhere in the sketching phase, I just moved on to doing other shit. And a while, you know, a few weeks back, I was picking up some old work because I was going through a uh, a mental health exercise for myself. And so I wanted to finish, you know, some old things that I had left by the wayside. Mm. And so I picked up a couple old drawings and that was one of them. And it was like it again, I thought that I would finish it in the course of a day or two. And it ended up taking me longer than that because I ended up fucking coloring the whole thing. And then like you should see. I just put some scratchy lettering on the top really as to finish it off. Like as the last thing you should see how many goddamn variations on that lettering I went through <laughs> before I found the one where I'm like, that's what it, that's what that looks right. That's what it should be. <laughs> so again, like not really a lesson, but uh, if it makes you well, feel any better about anything, just an insight into my process. <laughs> well, and, and maybe let it be a lesson to all you out there who are who do listen to us who are also creative types or or even if you're not a creative type and you're just like doing projects at home, um, do the stuff. Just do it. Get it done and do mm, it. Yeah. it. It'll be I, what it is. Yeah. And 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 if it isn't perfect, learn from it. Try to do better next time you do something similar. Simple yeah, as that. Per- perfect is the enemy of good. And that that's that's uh, what I've been um, a, a lesson that I'm definitely taking from the last period of being very busy and stand up and 
uh, I'm doing more shows. And I, at first I was just like doing my best shit every single minute. And then I started to realize that like, I'm not going to grow as a comic if I'm doing my very best shit every single minute. I'm, I can't. I have to yeah. take some risks with some just, hey, man, what like, man, what if you ran into a Pop-Tart in the alley and it was all hot and shit and then it just, you know, it broke open on you and that's feeling just start burning you and shit. Like, I think a Pop-Tart could take your money. Just something like that. Just right off the top, just do something stupid to see if it see works it and try yeah. to do something rather than crutching up on my best jokes again and again and again because I'll never grow. And it's like, damn, I, I that was really a big one. I think we need to adopt that with everything that we do. It's like my, everything my, is iterative. Yeah. My note on that would be really get into the intricacies of the Pop-Tart filling because the <laughs> s'mores, the s'mores <laughs> filling would be the worst <laughs> in an alley because that'll stick to you. The marshmallow will stick to you. Will yeah. burn the shit out of you. Yeah. But it'll stick to your skin later on. So when you go to wash it off, it's going to be a pain in the ass. It's oh, just yeah. 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 It's yeah. caught in your beard and your mustache. Terrible. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Dude, have you had some of that piping hot strawberry on you? That ain't no. <laughs> that ain't no. <laughs> that ain't no picnic no. either. <laughs> and then you run, you run up against one of those weird unfrosted varieties, and you feel like you're encountering someone naked in an alley, and you're like, who's this yeah. crackhead? <laughs> Yeah, you don't trust those unfrosted bullshits. <laughs> That's fucking naked ass pop tie rolling up on me. <laughs> like, what you want, man? You ain't got no clothes. <laughs> Workshop that. That'll make yeah. you that'll make your next special right there. Uh rounding out here. Let's do some questions. Like mm. questions that we still have. Cause uh, uh I think one of my main questions that remains is how many more of these angles on pop culture will we be able to do? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause like sometimes I think there's so many undiscovered gems out there and we could do whole episodes on them and stuff. But then I think there's certain things that would require about 22 minutes to talk about, <laughs> you know what I mean? So maybe we do some try episodes like, like when we did uh Tokusatsu, yeah. we could have did a five hour episode on that by doing a, you know, an hour and whatever episode on that with Brody we were able to talk about so many different uh, tokusatsu things from Super Sentai to blah, 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 you know, all these, all, you know, all these different ones. So we can kind of consolidate. It's like, what are some of the things, questions I have is like things that we could consolidate in the future or that's kind of where my head is at. Probably too inside baseball. No, along those same lines, my question is always, what's the right balance between like facts and opinion? Like how, mm. how much do we need to actually give the book report version of whatever it is that we're talking about? Cause I always, mm. I like to at least give the cliffs, the cliff notes version for the audience. Cause I always have to assume that somebody's listening. And even if we're talking about some famous Batman story, like they might not know. So I like to throw that in there. Yeah. But if we're talking about more esoteric topics, will the audience show up? just to learn about it from us or do they see more value in us just giving our opinions about things that they might already know look bill uh, i'm gonna answer that for you judging by youtube and the views on some of the most boring people telling the plot of comic book videos i've ever seen 
<laughs> they will show up. Okay, that's they will that's show not up. us though. That's it's yeah. like look. I'm just saying they're not are they're not coming to us for that content. So I'm yeah. just curious, like if we lean one way or the other, what's the better choice? I guess is the question. Yeah, that's one thing I I, I definitely do see that we refrain from normally. We try to like passionately encapsulate a storyline in a in a few sentences or even a long soliloquy but then it's over and you're and you, and you got the information whereas i think a lot of people yeah it's sort of like halfway between the beautiful essay people and the rambly i love everything people just sort of talking to their webcam and scream and make o faces there's some middle ground where they just kind of tell you the story again and they're like well, it wasn't it so cool when magneto did this it's like what what did that mean though that's another thing i think it's interesting that we have never tried really to be a we're a conversation podcast but we don't just get on here and go hey ron what'd you do drink some mountain dew all right bill what'd you do work out bill, hey ed what'd you do eat some fucking flapjacks all right that's been this week's circle jerk arama mm. you know what I mean? <laughs> like we never really do that even when we're doing it like kind of right now it's still philosophical and still you know you know what i like I i've been meaning to talk to you guys about this off air but we might as well do it right here so one of the podcasts I listen to regularly is this podcast called Knowledge Fight. And it's these two comedians, and they've been doing this for seven years, who rebut every episode of Alex Jones's show. So <laughs> it's a great way to keep up on what's going on in fringe right-wing circles while not having to not actually immerse that. yourself in the culture. Nice. I might pick that up. It's fucking nice. phenomenal, and these guys are great hosts. But at the beginning of every episode, they start every episode by going, hey, what's your bright spot? And each of them just shares like something cool that happened or, the, or a piece of media that they like or just like anything a little bit personal. So it's like mm -hmm. most of their show is actually very similar to what we do. It's like, let's break this shit down and in their case, tell you why it's crazy or stupid or hypocritical or whatever. But like they always start with that little insight into their personalities. And like mm -hmm. I kind of like that. Maybe we should adopt something like that. Just a structured injection mm -hmm. of our personal stuff. Well, yeah, like uh, the Daily Rad with uh, with uh, This Is Rad with uh, Kyle Clark and uh, Burnside. It's uh, yeah, they do. They do that. Like, what's your what's your weekly rad? All right. Well, let's just do it right now then. You pussies. How about that? <laughs> I'm in. All right. In. So like uh, so this week. All right. So, Ron, what's your greatest this week? Yeah, nice. Simple as that. Um, okay. Uh, look, I'm a little embarrassed by this. Okay. There's a thing called Bitlit. I don't know if you guys know what it is. It's basically mm -hmm. sort of uh, urban fantasy involving generally werewolves, vampires, and a tiny bit of romance, but not a lot of romance, and, and an ass-kicking female lead most of the time. And I've been reading this author, Patricia Briggs, like it's like crack. And it's interesting because she breaks a lot of the rules that you're you're supposed to keep to. Like she has mm. characters that are so tough that they're probably never in danger. Her main character is in danger, though, but the characters around her, uh, the other characters that are like her romantic friends or, you know, whatever, are like mm. basically invincible. Um, and so she's breaking a bunch of the rules that like people talk about when you're making like the lady who talks about uh, the, the fiction fantasy fiction formula, she breaks those rules, but it's super fun. And it's like really quick reads. It's, I guess it's technically schlock, but I love it. It's Patricia Briggs. 
and it's um it's um the Mercedes Thompson series. She's a aware. She's a coyote. Uh, she's a skin chain uh, a skinwalker, but she changes into a coyote. So and uh, it's lots of fun. And you, if you're into light urban fantasy reading, you should read it. It's awesome. Dude, uh, who's the who's the um, uh, enemy? A subsistence farmer. <laughs> it's usually it's usually vamp it's usually like bad versions of vampires um uh fey goddesses a coyote um, versus a goddamn vampire <laughs> yes it's that's the whole point that's what's the one thing she does do great is her main character is always in the most danger i will say that yeah, she yeah. is always outclassed so that that's is smart. really great part and her brain is the thing that solves the problems but she's also just the kind of person that like once she sees a problem, she's got to fix that problem. She's got to get involved. She doesn't get involved. You know, it could go wrong. So she does. And it's, it's like, like a, a mess. Oh, it's great. Oh, shit. Our, our town is in danger. And we got a, we got a coyote infestation all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, I think that's pretty cool, dude. All right, Bill, do you have one? Yeah. So um, have you guys seen the trailer for this movie, Fall? It's mm. about, it's about mm. two girls who climb um a radio tower out in the middle of nowhere and then once they get to the top there is i think one of the cables on the tower snaps and the ladder collapses so now they're at the top of a thousand foot radio tower in the middle of the desert in like new mexico i think and they have no way down wow and so this is a movie that's out in theaters i'm going to go see it later this week I am very excited. It's been getting great reviews as kind of a high concept, low budget thriller. Um, it's it, I've read that it is really in the same vein as The Descent. If you've seen that movie about a group mm-hmm. of women who go spelunking and encounter chuds, which mm-hmm. was another great low budget, high concept horror movie. Um, mm-hmm. After being disappointed by my last few trips to the theater, I am stoked for this. I am ready for just some good schlocky like make me piss my pants in my seat type of you know scares and uh i'm hoping it won't disappoint so i'm i'm excited for that this week i'm gonna see it later this week that's awesome oh that's fucking awesome all right so wait so what's this concept things we appreciate i don't understand this it's just (laughs) what's your greatest what's your greatest this week you know yeah what's making you happy this week ed i get your i get you're making a joke but <laughs> I, I, I do, I'm serious business. I don't know how to appreciate shit. Okay, I'll t- I'll tell I'll tell you why. I, I it's hard for me to do this. So like fucking okay. So the pandemic really fucked a lot of stand up comedians. So like when I came back at my measured rate and, and from my like mental break from doing stand up, I found myself at like uh, as a paid regular at the improv. I found myself skulking the uh, Wednesday open mic, and I'm just kind of waiting through them to like talk to Rita for five minutes. And, you know, get back in the whip and leave. You know what I'm saying? Talk to Rita and go, hey, I'm a, I'm a regular here, but I don't, I haven't been getting booked. Rita's uh, the blah, booker, blah. by the way, guys. Yeah, Rita, Rita's the booker at the improv. So I humbled myself and did that. Talked to Rita and I didn't think anything happened. I ended up going to a weed show. Weed show sucks because weed <laughs> people suck for comedy, like, uh, uh, audiences you think they want to laugh at everything but they're really stoned and paranoid and they're not in the right headspace to receive like complicated verbal information and process it 
It just isn't in their bag a lot of the times. So I go to this frou-frou weed show. They paid us in lots of weed, like more weed than I even spoke in two, three months. They paid us in weed, and we're in this rich-ass high-rise, and we're doing this show, and everybody's bombing their dick off. I'm talking about people from Last Comic Standing, people from Showtime, HBO, they're bombing their dick off, bombing their dick off. I bombed my dick off because nobody fucking was listening. But one of the people there was a dude who hosts the improv, and he hooked, He said, hey, I, I'm looking for hosts. After seeing me bomb my dick off and seeing him bomb my dick off, I guess we bonded with each other. Sure. And he says, hey, I'm looking for a host at the improv, so just send me your avails. Send me your avails. Don't hear anything for like a month. I finally get that call. I'm doing a Thursday show at the improv. It's got some big heavy hitters, Whitney Cummings and this one and that one, David Spade, uh, all these type of people, famous hosts. And I'm going to go host the show, get paid to do comedy, do 10 minutes cold up, to, up top get my money, get it back in at the improv. I go to the show in the middle of the show. They announced that fucking, uh, they have a big pop in and it's fucking Jerry Seinfeld. Oh shit. <laughs> it's fucking Jerry Seinfeld. So I, I'm talking to Jerry Seinfeld's agent who also represents like Madonna and Jesus or whatever. <laughs> um, and they're, they're telling me the way that Jerry likes to be brought up and all this different shit. And I shit you not, I'm on stage and it's a, it's a toss up whether it's going to be David Spade or Jerry Seinfeld going up next. And I'm on stage and I'm about to announce David Spade because nobody's talked to me since we've had that meeting. And then the fucking door, there's a, there's a door near the ceiling basically with a long staircase that comes down and then a little short walkway that leads to the stage. And that door behind that door is the green room for all the big comics. And that door opens and the light from the room is beaming out of the room, backlighting Jerry Seinfeld, who's standing <laughs> hands on hips, looking at the audience like Superman. <laughs> like a st- he was looking like Super Batman. He was looming like Batman, but he was inspirational like Superman. And he's looking down on the audience uh, from the rafters. And I knew that that was more or less the signal <laughs> for that, w- that it was going to be Seinfeld going up rather than David Spade. And uh, I, I, I say, oh, well, uh, okay, guys. Um, uh, I guess make it loud for this next guy because you know you may have seen him on um I guess NBC or Netflix or whatever. I think he's pretty funny, Jerry Seinfeld, and they, <laughs> and then they go <laughs> and fucking Jerry comes out. He fucking he starts out doing uh, he starts out doing some bits. He's doing okay. Then he starts crushing and crushing and crushing. Then he starts crushing even harder with this new stuff that he's reading off note cards and shit at the end. Gets off to major applause. I come back and I, I, they make a viral moment out of it on the improv's website. They put up the whole moment of me introducing him and all the big pop that he got. And then all of a sudden motherfuckers are hitting me up for bookings and shit. And last things last, as I fucking close out the show and I'm leaving, I see Rita and I go over to her and she goes, Hey, that was fucking awesome. Yada, yada, yada. You did such a great job tonight. Blah, blah, blah. I don't have a host for Saturday. Do you want to do it? So from no spots to a huge spot that I guess changed a lot of stuff to another fucking spot and both those spots like pay money in LA which is like wow yeah, money in LA yeah. to do stand up and I'm not Jerry Seinfeld like I got paid more that day than Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> he was amazing just in, put that right? on the resume right there <laughs> so so the bottom line is I, I guess that was my my greatest this week and all I did was suffer because I wasn't writing on this screenplay i got to turn in in seven days <laughs> so that whole time my life is going so great and it's my greatest 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 i'm mentally folding in on myself because in seven days i have to turn in this screenplay fully polished that i've been working on for years basically but 
my manager finally got me something. It's like a, an inaugural like script lab thing. And then there's a big production company attached and like big people are finally going to see my writing some big people. So, well, some more big people are finally again, going to see my writing, but my, my third or fourth shot at this. And uh, so that was hanging over me that whole time. All that great shit was happening, dude. I literally couldn't concentrate on how great it was because I'm still listen, fucked. Listen. <laughs> that was my whole shit, man. When it when it rains, it pours. So <laughs> right? these, are, these are good problems. I know, and, can't take good problems. I can't take it. And look, all I can say is that story definitely definitely qualifies for this week's greatest. So good story. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bud. But uh, yeah, so so there you go. We we um. We stared at our navels. We showed you our bellies and our and our supple throats. We we, we we definitely let you know about us and our process in this episode. I personally hope this one's a big fucking hit because being so revelatory scares me <laughs> and, and makes me, uh, you know, taking my armor off in front of a maiden. <laughs> vulnerability, Ed's one weakness. How ironic. <laughs> And 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 I'm too vulnerable, so we gotta come up with a middle, guys. We gotta figure out this middle shit. Um, but you guys, uh, if you want to get even more vulnerable, join our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/TheGreatestPod, um, and you can throw us a few shekels that will help us out. You can do something for free. Just leave us a review, five stars, say something nice about us, and a lot of times uh, we'll start reading those reviews. So the more reviews you like, you leave, the more unlikely it is you'll hear the review that you left. So thanks for listening to another uh, introspective episode of The Greatest Pod.